Yo, what's going on, everybody? It is a little bit after 1 p.m. here in Crystal Lake, Illinois. It's time for another live stream. Today is Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. Sorry, I'm running a little bit late, but I had a um, extra long uh, visit at the mechanic this morning. I went in for an oil change and believe it or not, a car with 190,000 miles on it. There was a lot of, of things for me and the mechanic to discuss today. So that's why we're running a little bit late. Uh, but uh, I'm glad that you guys are all here because today we're going to have on a guest. Uh, one of the authors of this book that I've been reading lately, Becoming a Sustainable Runner. We're going to have Tina Muir on the podcast here very shortly. I'm very excited to have her on. Tina is someone that I met uh, in person for the first time in last November, or I guess it's December at TRE. Uh, and since then, we've had many interactions, and uh, I'm very glad to be able to read this book, but also to have her on the live stream today. Before we bring her on, though, let's have everyone listening in on the audio-only version on the podcast. Hopefully, you guys uh, are listening to this on your run very, very early in the morning, because I think pretty much everywhere in the country right now, it's super hot. So hopefully, it's either very early in the morning or you're in the air conditioning on a treadmill, getting your miles in. And for everyone else watching this later, but not live on YouTube, welcome to you guys as well. This is the number one running podcast to listen to where I think we'll be able to talk about both world championships and UTMB in the same episode. I don't feel like there's a lot of other podcasts that are uh, going to be trying to tackle both of those topics at the same time, but maybe we'll get into some of that today. But the main thing I want to talk about uh, is this book. You guys know that I'm not very good at reading physical books. My preference is audiobooks, but this one is one that I've actually been reading. Um, it takes me a long time. I just fall asleep as soon as I sit down with a physical book, but this one I've been able to stay awake for. It's actually been pretty good. A lot of things that have kind of been on my mind that I've been thinking about already. So I feel like it's really timely. Um, and uh, hopefully we can dive into some of those topics today. Uh, looks like we got a lot of people here in the chat. Shannon's here. She's super excited because uh, where, where did that one go, Shannon? <clears throat> she says, uh, hey, co-fams, it's been a while. Love that Tina is on and that she can claim her as her St. Louis running buddy. Might be a stretch, but she's too nice to say otherwise. Awesome. Uh, let's bring her on now. Uh, without further ado, um, here is Tina. What's going on, Tina? How are you? I'm good. How are you? And I feel like I should add that part of the reason we were late is because I didn't realize that we weren't recording. And so I gave a really long answer to a question that Mike had. And uh, I think it's as much my fault as it was your the mechanic. Well, 90% my fault. So sorry. <laughs> no worries. No worries. And glad to have you here. Um, in the chat, People are talking about how hot it is everywhere mm. where they are. Mm. Um, how is it in St. Louis? I remember St. Louis summers as being particularly humid. How is it there now? Yeah, well, I thought I saw Shannon earlier. And yes, I would <laughs> consider you my running buddy. Um, yeah, I think it's like in the mid 90s feels the dew point is like 80. So 100 and something feels like so it is I feel like you need like a knife to like whack your way through the humidity. So but I'm actually taking a few days off running, so I feel like oh. I chose a good few days. Okay. Um, yeah, but it's, it's gross. Um, two things. One is I remember when I lived in St. Louis, I used to work in a research lab at the med school. Mm -hmm. And in the summers, it would be so hot just from the walk from the parking lot to the lab mm -hmm. that when I got to the lab, I would just go into the walk-in fridge where we had all like our like uh, ingredients and stuff that yeah. we needed to keep cold and refrigerate it. It was just a giant walk-in cooler. And I would just 
stay in there for a good five <laughs> minutes but I got to work every day <laughs> you just reminded me I don't, did anyone play the Lara Croft game on the computer a long time mm -hmm. ago and she yeah. like you used to be able to lock her in the fridge I remember that I don't know why <laughs> that just came to me but she used to get locked in the fridge or at least the version I had so um yeah that's what awesome. I just thought of when you talked about walking into a fridge so <laughs> Lara Croft which I haven't thought nice. of in probably 10 plus years nice um uh, Stevie 76 says Kofuzi looks different the day after finding the button on his trekking poles. Yesterday, uh, we went through in a little bit of an ordeal here. I bought my mm. first pair of trekking poles and right. I tried to, I guess, unfurl them. I don't know what the word is and put them in like active trekking mode because okay. they like they break into part into three pieces yeah, and yeah. I tried to extend them. And I couldn't figure it out. Everyone here had a very good time. With oh, that. I bet. That's um, fun. But I think you just came back from Leadville, right? I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, I think maybe you have had some very recent experience with some of your trekking poles then, huh? I actually didn't use poles then. I do have some poles, but I've never actually used them. Um, so maybe someday they'll get use. Uh, but yeah, I didn't, I wasn't using the poles, but I was running as a uh, essentially guide slash pacer slash crew for uh, Brian Reynolds, who's a double amputee. He was uh, attempting to be the first double amputee to run 50 miles, uh, sorry, 100 miles. I think he might be the first double amputee to run 50 miles, which he did. Uh, we got cut, up by, cut off by the time. He was using poles. I was actually holding the back of his shirt, like gripping it okay. most of the way, so that if he tripped, which he did all the time, I could like pull back, so like keep him upright. So I feel like I like did this for like three hours. Um, <laughs> so wow. it was a... Uh, yeah, it was challenging in a different way. I was doing like a dance with his feet, like trying to get as close to him as I could without mm -hmm. tripping him up. So it was it was concentration. <laughs> um, how do you get involved in something like that? That sounds really difficult. Yes, it is. Um, I got involved. I met Brian through, uh, I run quite often as a guide for visually impaired runners. And this is in the book as well, um, that all these kind of give back ways you could you could be a part of the community. So there's visually impaired runners. Brian is an amputee. Uh, Achilles uh, International has athletes of, you know, all kinds of, of needs and requirements that you can run with. Um, and it's just kind of once you enter into that community, and I definitely recommend you should do it at some point. I think you would really enjoy it and be really good at it. Um, and anyone really watching this. But yeah, so I'd done quite a lot of that. I really am a big believer in giving back, like through volunteering or pacing or crewing or you know, carrying the sign, the sand, carrying the sign in a marathon, um, you know, any way you can be a part of someone else's day is just a really meaningful and powerful experience and makes you appreciate your own running more. Um, I know that I've seen at CIM that it has been the visually impaired, like US championships. Yes. For a couple, is it always at CIM? Uh, actually this year they're no longer doing it, but oh, yeah, okay. up until this year, I think it was every year at CIM, it was their national championship, but I don't think it, well, I know it's not happening this year. I'm They're just sure. not having the event or it's not at CIM? Do you I, know? Not having it. Oh, okay. That's a shame. Yeah. I, I always found that that was really inspiring to be mm -hmm. able to run and, and cheer on those guys and knowing that they're, um, in a uh, pretty competitive race themselves. And it's yeah. just like, and they're not, I mean, they're running fast too. Um, yeah 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 so it's like i don't know like i mean i've thought about being a pacer for like that too because i'm just like well the number of people that can run as fast as some of these guys are running is not 
as big as people would think. And then someone that's willing to run. I mean, that's like takes pacing to a whole nother level, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So pretty cool. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, what year was it? 2019, maybe. I remember being at the, because I'd only gone halfway with the athlete because I was pre- pregnant at the time. Uh, I'd gone back and showered and then I went to watch people coming in. And I remember seeing this uh, Rich Hunter, who is yeah an athlete uh, who's visually impaired, and Scott Jurek next to him. But Scott mm. looked like he was dying. Like he, his <laughs> eyes were like bulging out of his head. And it was like the most surreal thing being like, is that Scott Jurek struggling along the road? Um, but it was kind of amazing for me because I was like, huh, he's a human. Yeah. <laughs> and like he was but you know if he's pacing he's supposed supposed to be the one who's like very comfortable but he was he definitely didn't look like he was comfortable right then so it was good to see that even people who do these incredible things still struggle in a marathon oh amazing amazing um so then uh after your experience at leadville are you looking forward to the action at utmb next week uh well i'm not going did you know that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't yeah. know if you were following, following or following excited. To, uh, I mean, I will somewhat. Okay. I don't honestly follow elite athletes that much. Oh, okay. um, like the guy, as these elite athletes were coming past Brian and I, I wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, there's this person. Oh, there's that person. Uh, I only really knew one of the top guys. So I don't actually follow it that much. But UTMB for me is one I do really want to do someday. So I ho- hold a little bit more interest in that one. And obviously Courtney doing it is... I mean, she's just insane with what she's managing to do. So I'll be definitely watching that piece, but uh, it's more just someday I want to be there. Okay. And then also what's going on, which I think that you might be following as well, is world championships are happening in Budapest right now. Mm -hmm. Have you been following the action? Again, not much, but I was told to watch the 10K and my husband Um, and I watched it last night and that was pretty uh, dramatic. So uh, the women's It was very surprising. Yeah, Um, Uh, yeah i mean especially just the first night with a lot of fault i mean hopefully i'm not giving any spoilers out for anyone that was maybe hoping to watch it later because it's been a couple of days now i feel like Mm -hmm. with worlds you gotta like you got it's like you gotta eat at the buffet quickly because then (laughs) because otherwise you know it's just going to be gone yeah yeah, um, yeah. that ten thousand meters like the fall at the end was um not on my bingo card of things that were gonna happen no 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 especially not who fell um yeah and and uh I'm sure I'm going to hear in a few days if Laura Muir gets a medal or something. I'm going to get a load of messages. Was that you? Was <laughs> that you? Or like, oh, congrats to your sister. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. not related. Like, same <laughs> name, yes, but not the same person. Well, well so. I told you the first the first time that we met at, yes. at TRE that I was just like, um, I was not familiar with your prior elite athlete like career, and I was also not that familiar with Laura Muir's career either. Yeah until i think that year at worlds and then all of a sudden i'm like i'm hearing like the like the, like broadcasters like in replays people talking about how well laura muir is doing and i'm like wait the woman with the podcast i didn't realize she was like an elite 1500 meter runner yeah and i was just very confused a lot of the time and it took me a long time and to this day i still have to like every time like when i did like like all the promotional materials for like today's live stream i was like like do I have the right mirror here? I'm not, I got to double check. I got to You forgot my name was Tina? No, it's not. It's not. I know your name is Tina, but I always like, for some reason, like, I don't know if it's because mirror is like a harder last name for me to pronounce for some reason. Mm -hmm. I just like my mind. It's just like, 
it has to go extra slow whenever I'm writing down <laughs> Tina uh, and not accidentally Laura. Yeah, no, I've had plenty of people say to me like, congrats on winning the fifth Ave mile. I was like, sorry, that wasn't me. Um, but I do wonder <laughs> if anyone ever says to her like, love your podcast. And she's like, Huh? What are you about? <laughs> so someday I should interview her and be like, we should just talk about all the ways we've been compared. Although maybe she doesn't have any, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that she's done all that many podcasts. Mm -hmm. I don't, no. you know, like I don't listen to all the podcasts, but I feel like I cover a lot of them, you know, or not cover, but like I get to a lot of them, but I don't think I've really heard a lot of interviews of Laura Muir. Before. No, me neither. I've never asked her. I should. You should get her on. I think. Yeah. Like, hey, I would, sis? I, I, I I would I would be like finally they're both in the same place at the same time I've never seen them in the same place at the same time before so that puts that rumor to, to oh would rest. that make it even more confusing for you because now you're like now they're both in the same place I don't understand maybe I don't know my brain's exploding all right um, let's get to the book though uh, becoming a sustainable runner uh, you and uh, Zoe Rome wrote this book together um, tell me about like where does this book come from like what was the, like the impetus for it like how did how do how did this get to be in my hands yes I want to answer that question but first I got stuck on what Lev and Martha wrote here okay. isn't hard to pronounce so I think you <laughs> should read that one because I agree like it's not I don't feel like it's that confusing but so many people get stumbled upon it yeah um, Mar yeah Martha's saying Muir isn't hard to pronounce like Muir Woods in California or John Muir the Sierras the Muir Trail etc mm -hmm. i don't i think it's the uir visually it just mm. it's like uh i'm not i don't i don't have dyslexia but i feel like for that three-letter combo i might be a little bit dyslexic okay i don't I think that's well, you're happening. not alone i'd say like <laughs> okay. 60 percent of people struggle right. with my last well, name that's very generous of okay you, so how did right. this book come about um well i uh, we kind of mentioned a bit uh, a few minutes ago that I was a former elite athlete, um, ran for Great Britain, was kind of at the peak of my career, and I quit rather dramatically. Uh, became the first elite athlete to talk about um, having a menorrhea or not having a period for nine years. Really brought that conversation to the forefront. And I promised myself in that moment, because when I quit, I was like, I am done with the sport forever. Like, I hated it and I don't use the word hate lightly but I hated it and um and so I promised myself I wanted to do it differently and so over the kind of growth I went through between uh 2017 and kind of my second daughter who was born in 2020 I went through this understanding of like learning to change the relationship between myself as a runner particularly my identity as an elite athlete when I quit I was just about to launch Running For Real, my business. And I genuinely thought no one, and you'll, you'll understand this because obviously like this is your whole thing. But for me, I was like, no one's going to want to listen to me. They're going to be like, you're a has-been, like go away from me. Why would I care what you think? Um, and so I genuinely thought no one would be interested in what I had to say because they'd see me as a quitter or someone who didn't know what they were doing because they, they weren't fast anymore. But people really actually felt more connected, resonated more with me. Um, and so during this time, I realized that I had to change my relationship to my body, to myself, to running. And, um, and so I worked on that. I'm still good, right? 
I'm just yeah, yeah, you're good. I just <laughs> I, I was I like, just, I'm just here on my own. I'm like, yeah, well, you know what? I was on the screen, uh, okay. you know, here with you, but then like I All felt right, good. like you, you can, were I, saying I just some really nice check. things, and so I wanted to make sure the focus was on you and not me like nodding along, you know. Okay, so I switched up the angle. A bit. Right. Sorry, <laughs> I was just like, am I talking to the void? Um, so then, so then I started, you know, redefining what running was, redefining who I was, redefining the way that I looked because that was determining a lot of what was going on within me was feeling like I had to look a certain way. And so I knew that if I wanted to run for life, because clearly I'd tried to do it the other way of where my appearance was most important. I only identified as a runner, felt that was all I had to offer the world. And I just had a horrible relationship to myself. If that didn't work, then surely there had to be a better way. So that's where I thought, well, how can I find joy in my running? And that's really what I worked on. And that spoke to the sustainability piece the general lifelong sustainable runner piece. Um, and during that time, I started giving back. As I said, I, I started running as a guide because everything in my running career had been very selfish. Uh, I'd done everything for myself. I'd expected things of other people. And I really recognized the leveling up that happened with my running by giving back. And then the third piece, environmental, I had always had a passion about, but it was getting to the point where people were starting to ask me a lot about um, what they could do because everyone feels like part of the problem. Everyone feels like they are being judged. They feel like unless they give up flying completely and go vegan overnight, well, they're not doing it good enough. And I thought there has to be a better way of bringing people in not doing like, unless you're taking a boat across the Atlantic, you're not doing this right. Uh, and so I had this idea that I wanted to do sustainability in this holistic sense. And I'd come to meet Zoe a few months ago, a month, few months prior. And uh, uh, I really wanted her to do it with me. I admired her writing. I knew she was a very good editor. Uh, I admired her as a human being and what she stood for. And so, yeah, I nervously, as if I was asking her out on a date, asked her if she'd write a book with me. And she said, yes. So the rest was history. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I like, I do like the fact that the title is becoming a sustainable runner, because I feel like um, even in the portion that I've been able to cover so far in the, in the book, um, it doesn't feel like it's like, here are all the things that you got to get rid of. You know, it's kind of like, you know, helping take some smaller steps to kind of yeah. get there um which i often feel like a lot of these things that i'm thinking about like in terms of how much i'm flying around the, the country and, and the world to do these events and how many products come through you know my basement um from all the live stream unboxings that i do mm. um but i'm like well what are some other ways that i can you know kind of slowly start to chip away until that doesn't feel like it's overwhelming and then maybe, you know, just continually kind of growing rather than suddenly having to be something like all of a sudden tomorrow I can become something seems more manageable, um, in a, in a lot of ways. And I appreciate the kind of, um, patience that the book provides. Yes. And that's, you're exactly right with the word becoming because we are not at the end point here either. That's the point yeah. is it's not like, oh, look at us from a high um, viewpoint of you people down there who like have a lot to learn. It's literally like we are halfway up this mountain, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit higher than you, but like we're all in this struggle together. So I really um, wanted to make it, we wanted to make it very like digestible and accessible and make people believe that, like you said, they can take little steps from wherever they are. And then those little steps can also be like 
whether you're talking about like how do you reduce your carbon footprint or how do mm -hmm. we get races to reduce their carbon footprints, but also like how do you approach running in a way that is sustainable or manageable mm -hmm. in the long run and not just over the training cycle. And I think that exactly. that also is something that um, I feel like we're starting to see a lot of in like social media even because like I feel like over the pandemic, it was very much everything was David Goggins, you know, like who's going to carry the boats, you know, and now everything is like now everything is kind of switching to like uh, after like a couple of years of that, it was like, here's how you uh, heal your plantar fasciitis and here's how you handle your runner's knee because you were carrying boats too long, you know, like yeah. that kind of thing. And then I feel like now it's going to be like, all right, well, now that I've chased PRs for several years, now what? You know, and I feel like this is, again, like I said, it's very timely where I feel like we're going to we're hitting that life cycle of um, kind of like like the communal or the the collective um, approach and relationship mm -hmm. with running where we're all now like, all right, now, how do we, we all know that we're, that we're in it for the long haul? How do we really go about doing that? Yes, exactly. And that's something that can be really hard to step away from, especially as I mentioned earlier, like um if it's something like a BQ or some kind of, I want to break four hours in the marathon, I want it, to, it's really hard to like not achieve it and then not be like, okay, I'll pick the next race three, three months down the road and instead like mm -hmm. look at the holistic approach. And that's a lot of what we do is give people just some things to think about in terms of like other stresses in your life or in terms of what is going on around you that could be contributing to the fact that you are not able to maybe give all to your running that you might want to because life just isn't going to allow it at that time and that is okay it doesn't mean there won't be another time that you can't do the really grit dig in but also sometimes we're just going to be able to do minimal and and call it the best we can and that's okay too mm -hmm. um can i ask you like a um kind of a like a logistical question mm -hmm. about the book mm -hmm. like how did you guys go about like who's writing what was it kind of like open google doc joint session and then like you're watching the cursor dance across this page or it's like I'll do this chapter you do that like how did that yeah no that's a good question uh no, I I feel like that would be very stressful if we were saying working <laughs> on the same doc you know and it's like page 200 and you're like please save, please save. um no I could not handle that no it was yeah. it was done chapter by chapter I want to actually just say mm -hmm. as multiple people have asked I was primarily a uh uh half marathon marathoner um, so yeah, half mar I ran in the world championships in the half marathon. The marathon was kind of my thing before super shoes. So mm -hmm. when I see my time now, it sounds pretty slow, <laughs> um, but it, the super shoes didn't exist back then. So, um, so yeah, it was a different time. Um, but, uh, yes. So Zoe and I would like take chapters each. We, we met mm -hmm. up in Boulder, uh, not long after we had signed the contract and really assigned chapters each. We would kind of talk through who should do what chapter. Uh, and then we would each write it. Uh, then we would swap it over. So she would edit mine, I would edit hers. And it's interesting because Zoe is very much from, she's the editor in chief at Trailrunner magazine. And so she was very much in this, like gotta be concise, gotta make it not personal. This is very, um, gotta be very neutral, gotta be very, um, you know, third person. 
um and and I had come from this like fluffy very much the way I talk <laughs> right now and so it was really interesting because we would she would send me a chapter and it would be four pages and I'd send <laughs> her one and it'd be 19 and so then we she'd like chop massive chunks of my sections to be like this is the same as this let's get rid of this bit and and I was like give me a bit more personality here make this personal what did you do there why did that make how did that make you feel uh but it, the beautiful thing about what that and I'd love to hear your thoughts here was I feel like we maintained because of that somewhat of a neutral voice and I think there's some things that people have known me for a long time will be able to tell that I wrote um but I think beyond that there should be a pretty standard voice and we liked that because it was very much a meeting in the middle yeah I mean I've jumped around because I wanted to try and sample from various parts of the book mm -hmm. um before our discussion today and I didn't get the sense that like oh this is a Zoe chapter and this is a Tina chapter like I didn't know what to expect in the book and I really thought it would be like Tina says and it would be like a Tina chapter and then Zoe says and then there'd be mm. a different subject than the Zoe chapter I didn't get the sense there and I was trying to figure out like wait who wrote this one Sure. <laughs> so I feel like if that was the goal, it definitely was successful That's because good. I was um, having a hard time kind of picking that out. Yeah. Um, but I do I like think... that there are um, personal anecdotes. Yeah, no, there's definitely Tina's story, mm -hmm. Zoe's story. Those are very <laughs> personal. But yeah. I think people will soon, people who know me will know that I, it'll be pretty clear that I wrote the body image chapter. Um, okay. <laughs> but beyond that, I think it, we kind of kept a neutral voice. And not that Zoe doesn't talk about that, but that is mm -hmm. a definite passion area of mine that I talk about often. Um, was it intimidating to work with Zoe? I feel like if I were working on, and maybe this is more about me than anything, mm. if I were working on a, any sort of literary type project with Zoe Rum, mm. I'd be incredibly intimidated. Yes. Uh, <laughs> more just from the sense of, you know, she would be editing my chapters and I could tell, I was thinking about the fact of like how she reads or she reads all these articles. And so mm -hmm. she probably has in her mind, like, this is good. Oh God, this is going to take a lot of work. And I didn't <laughs> want to fall on that. Oh God, this is going to yeah. take a lot of work end of things. Yeah. And, uh, and I think sometimes I did. And she was very <laughs> gracious with it. Uh, and so, uh, but that was the nice thing for me. I can sit down and just go and like type something out. For her, she'd be staring at the blinking cursor. But so for me, I got it out quickly. And then she was very good at editing. Whereas I was very, I was very good at like helping her to like tease out pieces of the, of the, art, of the, of the, um, whatever she was talking about to make it more substantial and more p personal. So I feel like actually it allowed us to both use our strengths. That's awesome. Because um, I could, I could definitely relate to like that kind of feeling and by like being intimidated by Zoe, she's just such a very, so, so very good at what she does yeah. at her job. Yeah. Um, like I just wouldn't want to be the, the, the reason why she sighs. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, <laughs> and so I like, I'm like, I know it's going to happen, but let's try <laughs> to keep it to a minimum. You know? Yes. I definitely <laughs> felt that, felt that at times like, oh, she's going to read this and be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. when she sees my 19 pages show up in her inbox yeah um but now that the book is done how, how long did this take from kind of like um like when you had the idea and we're starting to pitch it well let's start there like you had the idea for this book you start pitching it around do you have an agent do you pitch it to agents like what 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 is that part of this process like 
Uh, I mean, I can't speak to everyone, but for us personally, um, I had a connection to Human Kinetics, who was our publisher, through uh, Neely Spence Gracie, who's another elite athlete. Uh, she had written a book for them and she had said to me that they were looking for other people to write books. Mm. And we, I connected with them, uh, I think before actually I connected with Zoe to see if they were interested and they were. And so then Zoe and I had to craft a proposal for them where you have to write two chapters, I think, plus this all this information. Uh, and that was where Zoe really could shine. Because when it was like a, a summary of your book, you know, I would have given an eight page summary and she was able to concisely explain exactly what we were doing. Uh, and um, and so, yeah, we handed in the proposal. They came back to us with, um, you know, a contract. We signed it. And this was probably, I think, maybe like April 2022. Yeah, April 2022, maybe. Was it 21? It might have even been 21. I actually can't remember which year it was. Um, Anything that happened in 2021 is a mm, mm, Yeah, I feel like it maybe was 2021, actually. Okay. Um, but I do remember saying, like, I remember us texting each other, like, let's get this knocked out in six months. And I remember <laughs> Zoe te texting me saying, LFG. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then <laughs> you're like, oh, actually, this is a book. You can't write a book in six months when we both had other jobs and mm -hmm. I had kids as well. So, um, yeah, I remember being reality checked and them saying, we're, we're probably shooting for like summer 2023 and thinking, what? Summer 23? That's like a long time away. So it's an interesting process. Um, and so then from like the contract signing to kind of like, first draft ish or whatever kind of like way that makes it. Can you break down like from that point when you have two chapters, which mm -hmm. probably got changed very substantially by the time they made it to the book mm -hmm. to like when you're like, you kind of like, here's our book to like the publisher. Like how long does that part take? Yeah. Well, it's interesting with the two chapters because you write those two chapters probably three to four months before you start anything else. So when you go to write the book, you actually can't remember what you even wrote about. So then some things we wrote in one of the other chapters. And then after I sent it, I read back through that other chapter and I thought, oh, God, so much of that is exactly the same as what I just said. So now you have to decide whether you keep it in which chapter and go through it that way. Um, but you you hand in chapter by chapter uh, until you've got all those chapters and then you have a uh, oh, what's it called? A development editor who goes through it and looks at flow. And the the tricky thing is with books is in my head, I think I thought, because Zoe and I had edited it a bit for each other. I think I thought that we like kind of had it down. And then when the errors, when the uh, editor went through, they would say, oh, you spelt there wrong, which I don't generally, but you know, that kind of example. No, it's like, this entire section um, doesn't make sense. <laughs> and you're like, uh, and, or like, you need to take this section and move it to a different chapter. So you just, it's like, oh, where do I even begin? And then you have to read the whole chapter and make it flow. And so it's very, it messes with your head trying to do the mm -hmm. editing. And so it goes to a development editor who measures the flow and, and does all that stuff. And then um, you go through it again. You probably go through the whole thing. I mean, we probably went through it six or seven times each. Um, it's a lot. That and yet, lot. when I recorded the audiobook, 
I came out of there feeling, I was like, can I, can I read one? Because it is so hard to read out loud because you fill in in your head, you kind of fill in sentences, but you have to read it word for word how it's written. And I came out of there like, can I even write? Like, this is like garbage. What did we do? How did I not catch that <laughs> run on sentence? And so I really was like, oh, this is so bad um, for how many times we read it. But then when I got the physical copy in my hand, I was like, wow, I'm actually really proud of this. So it probably took a uh, first draft of where we handed everything in I would say was maybe probably about a year ago so yes it must have been okay. 21 probably about a year ago and then you had, we had to let go of it for good in about January so okay. that in itself was weird this January wow. this year wow um coming back to the book now um other than like certain things that you might want to change like grammatically are you like oh if I had to do this again I would completely change it I think I would just spend more time on building out what each chapter was hmm. um, before we even submit the proposal. Because I think that's where oh. I had the most trouble was, like I said, I'd written essentially the same thing in two, two of the chapters, but I couldn't, it'd be like, oh, I really love the sentence in this chapter, but I really love this sentence in, in this hmm. chapter. And it's trying to decide which ones to keep and how to move it. So I would probably have built it out more. But the tricky thing with that is, and this is what I've said a lot, is during a two-year process, you evolve and grow a yeah. lot as a human. So even things that you uh, might, where you might be at the start of the writing process, you're not there at the at the end. And so um, it's a difficult thing to, you know, these things that you learn, you've got to insert them along the way, but you're not sure exactly where they should go. So I don't know if I would change anything other than, yeah, maybe sorting out, really building out the the flow of it a bit better. Okay. Daniel Burton wants to know, where can you purchase the book? Well, there's a website called becoming, oops, this way, becomingasustainablerunner.com. <laughs> and uh, so if you go there, it's got all the links to all the various target uh, Barnes and Noble bookshop.org you can obviously call your local bookstore and uh, get them to stock a copy and yes Amazon uh, is definitely there as well um, so yeah anywhere you you want to find it if anyone's in the UK Waterstones has it uh, all the worldwide Amazons have it so yeah thank you awesome and how are the because the book came out a week ago now yep a week ago today yeah um, how's it going so far they haven't given me any numbers, which is quite okay. stressful. Um, okay. I've, I've kind of let go of most numbers in my life now. I don't really like pay attention to any numbers, but this is driving me a little bit crazy. I kind of want to call them and be like, hey, where are we at? Um, we have had a lot of the major marathons have really supported us. And a lot of the okay. brands I work with have supported and bought like, you know, 100 copies, which is huge. Um, oh, so cute. very exciting in that way. But I do, as for actual numbers, I have no idea and that's okay. the weird thing you're like well what should I expect should yeah, is 200 yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it 200 or are we at 2000 like yeah you yeah. know I, it's it's an interesting uh interesting feeling all right um and you did a book event while you were up in in Leadville mm -hmm. right yes yeah How so we had a launch up? event uh, at a place called the Golden Burrow which is a vegan restaurant uh it was really fun we uh it's interesting I'd love to hear your thoughts on this actually I really think, and actually I want to see this from people watching this or listening to this. I really think for the most part, people are over panels. 
there you know you did an amazing panel at in Atlanta and I love that but for I feel like people are a bit burned out on panels and so I just we just did like a meet and greet like we were there we went mm-hmm. to talk to people and it it felt much um more enjoyable because it wasn't like everyone had to sit and commit to an hour talk uh it didn't mean we had to find it meant we didn't have to find someone it was just very like conversational I made sure to go over to anyone who was on their own so they felt welcomed in um and so yeah we just did like a meet and greet and it went very very well and uh we sold a lot of books so we were excited and it was interesting going into the trail world because the the crowd is very different to uh okay. to the road stuff <laughs> <laughs> um did, did was there a good reception in some of the trail community because yeah. i feel like part of the trail community absolutely is going to eat this book up yes. but i also feel like there's another part of the trail community that is probably going to be like mm, not for me yeah, I do agree. And it was interesting, actually, Zoe and I definitely, because she comes from the trail world, I come from mm-hmm. the road world. There were so many things where we'd have to remind each other to give an example of the other one as well, okay. uh, because you get stuck in what your world is. Uh, and so, you know, I actually wrote at one point about the trail world being really relaxed and people don't care that much about performance. And she was like, I wouldn't agree with that at all. So, <laughs> but in my head, trail runners yeah. are like, yeah, like, cool, you do what you want to do like let's just be chill but obviously they're not but uh yeah so that it was it was fun that we had to that I'm getting to see the trail world from a different perspective although I will say walking around in Leadville it feels like so many people look exactly the same the men like (laughs) I mean you're like do I know that person no they look do I know that person like it it feels like you know everyone but you don't because a lot of them look the same so it is a very different world in that way <laughs> um that's an interesting thing um i like that question a lot stevie says personally i see a panel on trekking poles. Uh, i think i'd be a good i could be a good moderator for that one because i literally mm. I genuinely you could do a competition know. of how quickly people can put those together um i i've seen people that are like have done this kind of like almost like a you like know a like a gun draw where they just pull them out and then just like whoosh, and all of a sudden there's trekking poles and i'm just like I don't know. I feel like I'd have to stop running. Like I have to mm-hmm. stop, get them out of my pack and do all that. But um, I actually would like to see a panel on trekking poles, but it's very um, interesting feedback because I actually have a call later this afternoon about an event that I'd like to do at the Chicago marathon. And the person, the brand that I want to work with, they're like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, we, we do group runs. I'm doing a group one with ASICs and that's what been fun. Um, but like, I also want a non-running way to get together mm-hmm. because maybe someone is uh, in town with their coach and their coach is having a group run. And so they don't want to do two group runs, you know? And so I'm always trying to figure out what are the best ways we can do that and make it fun for the people mm-hmm. that are there. Or and injured, so, you know, sometimes you've got an true. injury and you want to come yeah. and you feel like I've seen people like hang out in the wherever it is. And I'm always like, I'm sorry. sorry yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's why I'm like, some of the things that they suggested were like, we could do that or just a meet and greet. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how does that work? I just stand there and then people come and say hi. And, and like, what? Like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not sure. I understand those words, meet and greet, but I'm like, how does that work? You know, I think like, people I'm would never... love that with you. I think okay. people would ease it up, like having that <laughs> opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I'm just like, I'm like, that's an interesting perspective in terms of like, well, that's a lot less work for me if I don't have to do a live stream, then yeah. that's so much less equipment that I have yeah. to bring. And we don't have to have a sound person and we can just mm-hmm. 
kind of um, just skip to the after part, which is kind of like, I guess, a meet and greet where there was snacks and beverages when we were at that event in Atlanta. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and that was, was that was fun. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I feel like, yeah. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Are you guys going to, who, who's going to be in Chicago? What would you guys rather do? Mm. Sit in for a live, a live, live stream, a live stream live, or do a, just a meet and greet somewhere else? I don't know. And yes, mm. I live in St. Louis. <laughs> I'm video guy, man. <laughs> seven says, <coughs> excuse me. Video guy, mm. man, seven says, He's going to do the 5K on Saturday morning. So definitely would like a way to meet up. That's not another shakeout. Yeah. See, so our my shakeout is usually the same time as the 5K. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of times people miss me that way um, because they're already doing, they want to do that race. So I don't know. Well, there, I'm hoping that there will be, <laughs> Andrew Scott wants to know if there'll be snacks. That's an important question. It is an important question, but like we haven't even figured out the format yet. So I mean, like that's, that's like way down i mean i probably should have planned this i'm sure there will be some kind of snacks though like a brand would definitely jump all over that to offer you snacks up if you're if you're asking i'm sure (laughs) yeah so i think that you know we'll have to get that figured out yeah i'm hoping there'll be at least hydration because it's the day before a marathon Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. pam sanchez says meet and greet um Phil, Hart- Phil Hartman says, how about a Confuzi end of the race dry heave impression? <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that, that would actually you be got a video of dry heaving somewhere. I have many. I have oh, many. Okay. It's become like a, a oh, thing. Oh, that's your thing, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, uh, I, I tried, I, I've tried to, I went on a, a trip in Colorado, hot run hut. We were in the mountains and like a lot of people, like some people that were there were like Solomon pros. Um, and some people that were there were other like trail running people um like trail running media and then there's like me i'm a i I run in the woods in my near my house Mm -hmm. you know i don't often say that i'm a trail runner but i say like i like to run in the woods and i'm a flatlander for sure Mm -hmm. and then like um i'm at we're at the we're at the top of like one of the many summits that we hit that week and i'm like filming myself like dry heaving because i'm at the top (laughs) like because and everyone else is like sauntering uphill and i'm running and i'm like my heart rate is like pegged at like vo2 max you know so i'm like i'm like running like a 5k at least my heart thinks it is and i'm just like coughing at the end and they're like uh you okay and i'm like uh you know what it's hard to explain but the audience loves this i don't (laughs) know yeah i gotta imagine the people who like don't really understand technology that much and they're not like that plugged in and they're like why is he like filming himself? <laughs> well, I mean, it was all it was like media people that were there. So they understood that part. But they were like the dry heaving. I was like, yeah, you know, if I pass out, pick up the camera and film it, you know, like then yeah. then wake me up. You know, so I was like, this will be great. This will be great footage. I'll credit you if you uh, if you stand there over <laughs> me, past out. Yeah, yeah. Me. <laughs> we'll get you the photo credit. I'll put your I'll put your your handle in, in the description. But yeah, funny. Um, yeah. Dominic Smirnowski says we should just live stream. The I meeting. like that idea. Yeah, that's one, that's one way to do it too. Um, all right, cool. Um, pork See, and no beans. one said a panel. You know, no, one's, no one has voted for a panel. That's, no, no, a, I think people are kind of a bit burned out on them. Obviously, the way you do it is a little bit different. So, But mm-hmm. I think if I hosted a panel, because I've done so many over the years, mm-hmm. I honestly don't think many people would come. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. I think people would go. But like, I just think that like it's, it is to the point where, well, my friend, like Laura Green, um, mm-hmm. has kind of like made fun of like the the whole like Boston scene where it's like you have to go to like five shakeout runs and five panels. Yes. 
um, over the course of like two or three days. And then you have to run the Boston Marathon, you know? So I'm like, all right, well, like if it's getting to the point where it's being lampooned, then maybe it's time to freshen things up a little bit. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, Pork and Bean says, STL gang, I moved away, but glad to have grown up there. When did you get to St. Louis? Um, Right before the pandemic. So okay. Kind of okay. moved here and then the pandemic hit. I met Shannon, as she wrote yeah. earlier, mm-hmm. um, not long after I moved here. And then uh, pandemic shut us down. So people were like, oh, how long have you lived there? And I'm like, yeah. well, I've been here four years, but I feel mm-hmm. like it's only been two. So, um, yeah, not not that long, but it kind of is in numbers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And where yeah. were you before that? I So I bounced around a lot. I was in Kentucky, Philadelphia, and then I went to school in Michigan. Okay. And then how are you in St. Louis? Uh, my husband is uh, started the track and field cross country program at uh, University of Missouri in St. Louis. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I go I where was, he goes. Yeah, I was not aware of that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, Phil Hartman, see, Calvin Huang says, panels are hard to come to versus internet live stream. So, okay. Um, interesting. Interesting. And... Um, Phil Hartman says, in all seriousness, a meet and greet with merch would be awesome. See, like, um, here's a logistical question that I had. So you had your meet and greet Mm -hmm. in Leadville, Mm -hmm. and then you sold a lot of books. Mm -hmm. Who's the person, like, doing, like, the square card reader thing? Like, So... Well, firstly, I noticed anyone hovering around the books, and I was like, hi. Like, if I didn't know them, hi. (laughs) And they'd be like, oh, oh, that's you. And I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's me. Um, So that was a big part of it. But we just did Venmo. Okay. So we had, Zoe did it. She made a little Mm -hmm. square uh, because she brought all the books because she was driving. I didn't want to load my suitcase with with books. Um, And then, yeah, just had a Venmo. So it was really easy. and um and yeah it worked really well so the only thing that is tricky and you probably have had this like at your after your your meet and greet after your panel is it's sometimes tough because you want to talk to one person who's talking to you but you can sometimes feel other people ready like almost like next in line and so you're like kind of like okay i need to wrap up here make sure this person feels recognized but then maybe there's other people around so that's the only tough thing but in my experience everyone has been everyone is very understanding um that there's only one person and sometimes you can kind of be like introduce people and sometimes Hmm. people start talking while they're waiting and so that's what i really love is that like it allows everyone to kind of make new friends regardless um and so yeah that's where i i've really enjoyed it okay all right i'm gonna pitch i'm gonna pitch the meet and greet idea this afternoon then yes i want to i want to see what you say i don't know you're talking about yeah i'm I'm hoping to um be there yeah and then i don't know if i'll have merch available at at that time or anything to sell but like my other you big can, concern you can is sell like, these if you want i can give you a bunch of these bring some <laughs> books bring some books we'll do it i will if i come yeah i'm working um, with the marathon so it depends what they have me doing oh okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're going direct to the source then yeah are they, you gonna are, are you gonna do another expo interview expo interview because oh, you did an, you right, got interviewed at yes, Peach i do have a panel so yeah anyone at chicago <laughs> so there's a panel a panel yeah but it's only 20 minutes so it's a short okay. um a 20 minute panel actually i don't know if it is a panel now i say that i think it might just be me talking for 20 minutes okay. on thursday and then i'll i'm gonna i they actually have given me a space in the expo so i'll be there nice. 
Uh, I think uh, uh, Chris Mosier has potentially. Oh, okay. Double, double confirm with him, but he said oh, he yeah. did last year, and he he um, said he would again this year. Uh, okay, that's great. I know then, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I met him very briefly a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Chris, because uh, he's in the Chicago. He's in, yeah. well when I lived in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Chris is great. Yeah, so yeah, I'll I'll, I'll be uh, doing some panel hosting, but then I yeah have to run off and do stuff with a sustainability team. So if anyone sees the zero waste stations, there's a good chance I'll be hanging around one of those. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Um, you know, like her, here's a question that I have for you and um, it seems kind of unrelated, but I know that you've done a lot of content around recycling in your Instagram stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talk about recycling quite a bit um, in the book. Um, two questions. One, I think I know the answer because of, I've seen your Instagram stories about it. Are pizza boxes recyclable? It's cardboard, so I would think it's recyclable, but are they recyclable? No. No. And that's because there's food grease on them? There's the grease, yeah. So anything with food, yeah, this is this is a t- point I could talk about all day, every day. <laughs> anything with food in it. So if you're throwing anything in your recycling, and obviously I don't know everywhere people are. There may be somewhere in the world where someone doesn't have to do this. Um if you have any remnants, so peanut butter, you better like scrub that clean with soap to get the peanut butter remnants out. Uh, pizza boxes do not because they have grease in them. They can be composted. So if you have a compost pickup, then they okay. can do that, but not not recycling. Um, same with, you know, any jars or anything must be cleaned. Um, and so, yes, that is a common misconception. And, and also not even that, but if you have a contaminated anything in your recycling bin, that entire thing will be thrown out so like everything that is touching that contaminated thing will be thrown in the trash so that sounds very difficult yeah yeah but then Um, again in the book you like you'll see this pretty in depth mm -hmm. we kind of break the bubble that i know at least for me people recycling is kind of the the catch like that well i recycle but yeah. like I take the argument in the book that maybe we'd actually would have been better if we didn't recycle because it allows us to feel like we're off the hook and there's so many more mm. important mm. ways we could do things. Yeah, I see that like when I see like the soda companies saying like, hey, put your soda bottles back in these soda bottle recycling containers. And I'm like coming from a company that <laughs> sells soda bottles. Exactly. Yes. No, no. I mean, that's I mean, they <clears throat> were the one that created disposable they, they had to convince people to use disposable plastic because people just reused things. And then mm-hmm. they realized they weren't selling enough stuff. So then they, and we share this in the book. So then that's mm-hmm. how they uh, came up with the idea of like disposable plastic. And now we don't know any other way. Okay. Well, yeah, it's also answered my second question of like, how much do I need to clean stuff before I put it in the recycling? It seems like a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And then Lewis's question, what if a circle was cut off as well? Um, I mean, I guess that would work. <laughs> you cut out the circle of grease. Well, here's my question. Flap, the, like, yeah, is like, yeah. well, like, what if the top of the pizza box doesn't have visible grease yeah, on you, it? Yeah, I mean, if you want to rip that okay. off, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, see, but I would maybe say, is there a different way you could use the top of the box for something else? Like, is there some something you can use it for? Like, especially if you have kids, they could use mm-hmm. that cardboard for something, some kind of art. I don't know about anyone else's kids but my daughter is craft obsessed so she uses all kinds of stuff um but to answer your question yes you kind of need to use soap and water or at least get like a cloth and clean it out properly Um, which obviously again hits the problem of like 
we're using loads of water. Yeah, CV76 mentioned that too. Yeah, like so you're, you know, where do you, where do you draw the line really? Which is again why we say don't lean on recycling. There's a reason it's reduce, reuse, right, right, recycle. Right. So um, don't lean on recycling as your only way to take care of things because uh, less than 5% of plastic ha ever has been recycled, which is really That's very bad. sad. Yeah. Um, but what about stuff like... Uh, yeah, like good for marathon signs. I like that. Yeah. Video says pizza box is good for marathon signs. <laughs> I do like that because then it's just like, then the other side of it is like the other spectators just looking at a sign. Of pizza. <laughs> Yeah, you know I mean, like a cartoon Italian guy being like, "Here's your delicious pizza," you know. Like, I feel like that's kind of fun. So true. Well. That works. Um, oh, I, I lost my train of thought on that. Now I had something else that I was going to go with that. That's um, a good idea. I've never thought of that. Running it through the dishwasher. That's really. I've never thought of that. That's very smart. Well, who does that? Vanessa Martinez run recyclables to the dishwasher with the dishes. That, I've never thought of that. That has never occurred to me. Mm, me neither. But, okay. Um, yeah, like in my house, like we do uh, a lot of the shoe boxes that come in end up getting uh, covered in like glitter glue and sparkles and uh -huh. um, beads and stuff like that. They become like decorative boxes yeah. that end up never holding anything. And then mm. they kind of like uh, end up like living on the coffee table for a long time until I can quietly throw them away later. Mm -hmm. Oh, I heard you. I found an amazing <laughs> video on Instagram the other day about throwing away your kids art. And it brought me so much joy because it was just perfect, like explain explanation to a kid when they find their, their art in the, in the trash. <laughs> it was yeah, there's, there's a shoe box that's been sitting on the kitchen counter for a good like month. And I thought that my older daughter was using it for something. And finally, yesterday, I'm like, look, it's this has been here the entire summer. Are you going to do anything with this box or not? And she's like, my sister put it there and I was like, Oh, okay. We've been saving this box for someone and no one actually wants to do anything with it. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. okay. Um, and then, and then like the, like the, the fight club quote, like the things we own end up owning us. I'm like mm -hmm. this converse shoebox definitely owned this entire family for the last three months. <laughs> so true. So true. Um, do you save a lot of the kids art? Within reason, my daughter is <laughs> like in. She actually. So, if anyone has anyone seen Toy Story Four, have you seen Toy Story Four? I love the Toy Story. You movies. know, Forky. <laughs> she has never seen Toy Story Four, but she came up with Cuppy, and it's oh, literally okay. an old cup, like a plastic cup. She like sealed off the bottom and put some things inside of it to make it so she could shake it and it makes noise. Mm -hmm. She cut out arms. She cut out a tail. It's a cat. She stuck <laughs> eyes on it. Like she, and now she has it. It's I wish I could grab it. It's like right over there. Um, yeah, it's called Cuppy. So things like that. How do I, how do I throw that away? But, yeah. you know, yeah, I definitely try and hide a lot of things in the recycling um, paper whenever I can, when she's not paying attention, but she's getting to the age where she's definitely like, Hey, where did this go? And I'm like, Oh, oh. Well, somewhere. Yeah. My kids never ask where things went. I, yeah. I love I love secret throwing things away. Uh, <laughs> my wife hates that. It gets her very upset when I uh -huh. secret throw stuff away. Um, and she's the person that will notice. She'd be like, hey, uh, that container full of stickers from a variety of seasons. Like she could tell if I've removed like four sheets from it because I'm like, these are duplicates anyway. We have very many Easter stickers. We're not going to need them. We're probably going to get more next Easter. 
I think I can throw away two sheets, mm-hmm. you know, and that's my, my little subversive, mm-hmm. you know, rela- maybe we're getting into some relationship dynamics yeah. here, but I'll just <laughs> throw them away and she'll be like, Hey, uh, did you touch the stickers? I'd be like, Mm, yes I, can. I, can't, I, can't, I can't lie to her. yeah no i i am definitely the gun-ho one with with getting rid of things sometimes steve okay. needs them and he's like what's this and i'm like uh i i give it away he's like oh i needed that all right should i go get cuppy everyone wants to see cuppy right, vanessa sorry. wants I'm to see cuppy less than 30 seconds. It's just yeah it's okay don't worry i've left for like minutes at a time before <laughs> i'm very excited to see um to see cuppy videos wants to see cuppy cuppy for those of you who are listening you've heard the description of a cuppy. few things there's three things here <clears throat> now you can these are things now that you will never be able to get no 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 okay this is cuppy are you ready <clears throat> the cuppy is awesome that's great <laughs> i love that <laughs> it does look like a cat yep so this is cuppy mm-hmm. this is a butterfly see my oh, daughter is one. very yeah, yeah. artsy yeah yeah this is a butterfly, and these are this is all stuff she found around the house. Yeah. And then this is a um, what's this? Uh, I don't know, a plant, I think. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So yeah, yeah. she and there's even some soil in there. You see? Oh, okay, soil, very good, it, very nice soil. So yeah, yeah. she. But copy, I think, it's even got some like jingly things in it. I think copy is with us for life now. Yeah, yeah. I it feel like remind me of Forky. I was like, what are the chances yeah. she came up with the name Cuppy? So, I mean, yeah. it is a it is a cup. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I like Cuppy a lot. I like Cuppy a lot, and I like all the other art. You know, um, I also love. Um, and maybe this is bad. We're talking about sustainable things because I know they're probably made out of plastic. But I love fake plants. Mm. I'm terrible at keeping plants alive mm-hmm. and so like uh fake plants mm-hmm. i think are great my wife bought decorative fake plants to put like on the counter in the bat in the guest bathroom and those are the best looking plants in the entire house <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't actually have any fake ones but yeah it is it's like a weekly <laughs> thing that i go around and 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 water all my plants you can see there's some okay yeah yeah oh yeah okay. okay. there's some over there oh this way yeah, we, we might be overwatering our plants, but then we'll travel and then we won't water them for a long time. We have a, we, well, we just moved to a house in the suburbs. Um, and so we have space for like the first time as a family ever. And so the, the girls wanted to buy like a raised flower, like a garden box. And we filled it with dirt and we, they bought, they went crazy. I was like, let's do like three plants, like a tomato plant, maybe some carrots and, and like, cucumbers or zucchini you know and they're like no and then they came back with like eight different kinds of vegetables and then we had to buy another little flower box yeah. for like six kinds of flowers they wanted it didn't grow for the longest time and then like we went on vacation and then when we came back like things were sprouting yeah but it had been so long and we did take a picture of like where we planted all the seeds and what we planted and stuff but it had been so long that i'm for a long time i was convinced that we just were growing really nice weeds in, in our garden box because <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell what any like honestly I don't know what a carrot plant looks like uh-huh. um and I don't know even what like a zucchini plant really looks mm-hmm. unless there's zucchini on it I don't know what a zucchini plant like looks I'll send like. you a video later I'll take you around my garden and show you all the I would love things it. for next I would love year it. although it is overwhelming <laughs> like when you first start you're like uh, like you there's like companion plants things that are supposed oh, to be yeah. together like how close they're supposed to be it's definitely overwhelming and I'm still yeah. a bit confused 
Yeah, and I wasn't sure, like, if I th- I was pretty sure that these were all weeds because we have like uh, behind our house is like kind of like a like a water, like a water something area where they just let like natural flowers and grasses grow, which actually are much prettier than anything else that grows in my yard or near my yard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was just more of that. But then we just saw some little cherry tomatoes starting to. Oh, that's good. So I'm like, that's oh, okay. Well, Doesn't at least some of these are. Like it does. It does. That you grew some food that can sustain, maybe not sustain, but be a part of yeah. your family's like eating. I, I don't know. I think yeah. You know, uh, one of the reasons we did it is because we like, maybe it'll help us get the kids to eat more vegetables. Yeah. But I was like, look, I was like, hey, guys, look, we got tomatoes. And they're like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, because you want to eat them? And they're like, no, we don't want to eat that. <laughs> but it's fun to grow them. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> okay. Right. I love tomatoes. Though, so it'll, yeah, it'll, <laughs> it'll be fine. Um, all right. All right. Uh, Calvin says zucchini, if you want an easy one that spirals into trying to give them away to everyone. I know. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) It's funny because, uh, my mother-in-law started growing zucchini and like around this time every year, I have to figure out 15 different ways to try and eat all the zucchini, which I don't have a problem with. I love zucchini. Um, but my father used to grow zucchini in his, um, garden a while ago. Uh, they say they've since moved, which I think is the reason why I don't have to worry about the zucchini anymore but his were like they were as large as a forearm i'm like dad what are you feeding these plants like i don't <laughs> think that's zucchini something's wrong i mean lived in new jersey so i'm like it is the garden state but i'm like mm, is there something in the soil there because like zucchini shouldn't be that big oh yeah that's terrifying as <laughs> <laughs> a weapon yeah 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 all right um, any last thing before I, I mean, we've been on for, for a long time and I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Any last thoughts that you'd like to share with everyone, uh, on, on the book? I think it's just, today? well, firstly that I, I mean, I have mentioned this, but when it's about sustainability, I think most people, especially who know me assume it's going to be all environmental, but that's actually only a third of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with that, we make it very realistic. We're not going to tell you to never fly again or go vegan or get rid of your car. Like it's just about making you feel like a part of the solution. And there are some hard things to read. You know, there are going to be some things that are really going to make you be like, nope, nope, nope. Like you're going to want to like run away. Um, But I think these are things that as you read them, like, for example, um, if food waste were a country, um, in terms of carbon emissions, it would be the third largest in the world. Like that's kind of sickening to think about. Um, mm. But, you know, is that information we should know? Yeah. Uh, so I hope that this book makes it digestible for you. As I said, we talk about your relationship to running, your relationship to yourself. And we've really seen some people feel, be very impacted by the words in those early chapters. Uh, and I hope for you, if you are someone who does get a bit caught up in in numbers of any kind, um, it helps you to kind of process through that and, and think of things differently. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to bring this with me on my and be very feel very guilty about it because I'll be reading it on a couple of long flights um, <laughs> across the Atlantic Ocean. So I'm going to feel guilty about it, but hopefully this will you know help me figure out ways that I can uh, improve. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. And don't forget, guys, you can get this book at becoming a sustainable runner.com. Mm-hmm. yeah thank you Thanks so, much. so much for coming on to the live stream for today yeah thank you i appreciate you and uh everyone who joined us today 
All right, guys, this is going to be the last live stream for me because I'm leaving for the airport for by tomorrow. So you guys won't hear from me for a little while. But uh, by the time I get back, hopefully I'll have finished the book. But I'll also uh, I've had lots of adventures to tell you about. I can't wait to tell you guys about them when I get back. And I'll see you guys in about a week and a half. Until then, be safe out there, everybody. Thanks. Bye.